You know, I watch and listen to a lot of YouTube videos, and one thing that I've been looking into a lot recently during my time on the internet is this West Marches style of D&D campaign. And if you don't know what that is, don't worry, we'll get into that. But it does solve a lot of problems that I'm kind of having and that other DMs or GMs might run into during their time running D&D or whatever TTRPG that you tend to roll with. Of course, this style of play does not just exist to solve a problem, but it can be actually very fun and it can make things a lot easier for you. So, without further ado, welcome to The West Marches. and welcome back to another edition of the Bardic Inquisition podcast. I am your host, Vince. Before we get started, I would like to give a quick shout out to our fantastic supporters on Patreon, one of which is Jennifer Schaefer. Thank you very much for your contribution to the podcast. It means a lot to me. So to start us off, what even is a West Merge's style of campaign? The premise is fairly straightforward. The players start off in a simple village surrounded by untamed wilderness. They are given a very basic map of the area with some marks where some treasure might be. But otherwise, no plot hooks. And you might be wondering, why is it like this? Why no plot hooks? The answer is that this style of campaign is driven by the players and not the DM. This means it's up to the players to choose what they want to do when they want to meet for a session, and who they want to take with them. That's right, this means that you can have a whole lot of players in one campaign setting, and you could have a very different party makeup from one session to another. So you might ask, what happens if some players get to play more than others and the parties are kind of unbalanced? It's okay. This type of system is not entirely meant to be perfectly balanced. In fact, this style of campaign is meant to be kind of random and not balanced, so your party might come across something that they're not quite ready to handle yet, and they might have to come back to it later. Or, dare I say it, they try to take on something that they're not quite ready for and end up dying. You know, death should 100% be a possibility. The entire premise of this West Marches style of game is that the world you're exploring is dangerous and unknown, and inevitably your more ambitious players will end up driving most of the action. See, this style of game harkens back to an older style of D&D, from back in the day when people would have their characters and they would take their characters from one person's game and bring them into another person's game. And then their friends there would be like, whoa, where'd you get that cool thing? And they'd be like, oh, I got it in my other DM's campaign. He's playing through this one module, or he's got his own homebrew setting, right? 
Now, I started in 5th edition, so I never got to play this way, but I have heard so many people talk about it, and it sounds really amazing, so West Marches, here I come. Now, because of the nature of this style of play, there may develop some kind of competition between the players, especially for things like loot. This is okay. This is good, even. You might have a situation where one group goes into a cave that is maybe full of treasure, but they can't get to all the treasure. Maybe there's an obstacle that they can't get past, or maybe they have to leave due to time constraints. But either way, the other group can always come in behind them and be like, oh, well, since there's still treasure there, maybe we can get it. And this type of thing could create a little bit of a feel-bad very briefly, but then again, there's supposed to be a lot of opportunities for treasure and things like that. But Vince, how will the other players know about the loot if the first group doesn't tell them? Well, that's the beauty of this style of play. Remember the map that I mentioned earlier that you're supposed to give your players in the beginning of the game? Well, think of that map as kind of a group project. See, as a group is exploring in whatever session that is being ran, people should be making marks on the map and expanding it and writing down more information. People should be taking notes uh, so that they can share with everybody. And this is meant to give a feeling of communal progress. You have all the players taking notes, making marks on the map, sharing information, and it kind of creates this feeling of us versus these wilds or this, this wilderness area. And if you're thinking at this point, Vince, this all sounds great, but it's kind of weird and seems a little chaotic, you would be right. Uh, so why do it? Well, I've got a few reasons, namely five, why you might want to try running this style of game. One, you have a lot of players that want to play and you don't want to run a whole bunch of campaigns. This is, in fact, one of my biggest reasons for being interested in a West Marches game. I can think of at least 14 or 15 people that I know that want to play D&D. Currently, I am accommodating 10 of those people, so that means 4 or 5 are being left out. This is mainly due to the fact that I'm uncomfortable running more than 2 groups, and I really don't want to have groups of 7 or 8 people. And this way, everybody gets to be in a campaign, and the same campaign, which is a nice bonus. Reason 2. When everything is random, it's a lot easier to co-DM. I mean, sure, you might have to pass the map back and forth or have a digital version of the map to make this work better, but the way that this style of game is typically ran, you are encouraged to use a lot of random tables. And this is for things like monsters and treasure and even environmental features. So you really don't have to worry about if the other GM or DM is going to mess up your, your world's setting because the setting is kind of random. So if you ever end up in a situation where you have two different groups that want to meet on the same day, you don't have to worry about scheduling problems if you have two DMs, and you don't have to worry about having two DMs, because like I said, everything's kind of random. Reason number three, your players will care about your world. Now I hesitate to call it your world because it's probably going to feel more like 
their world. They're the ones that are deciding what they're interested in exploring. They're the ones that are kind of marking up the map and taking notes and discovering the world. So if you've ever run a game of D&D and thought, my players just don't seem invested in my setting, this is kind of a way to ensure that they're invested in the setting. After all, it is driven by their ambition. Reason number four, though, scheduling conflicts are less of an issue. For example, if player A and player B can never seem to meet on the same day, it's not really a problem because player A can just run with player C or player D. Or heaven forbid, if you have someone cancel last minute, you can just run with less players. Again, balance is not really a priority here in this style of game. So if the party needs to retreat from a particularly tough monster because they don't have a fourth player or a fifth player, that's okay. They can either come back a different day or if they decide to fight it then and there and manage to beat it, that's more XP for everyone. Not to mention more loot. But finally, reason number five, there's less pressure for your players to play a specific class or role. When you have like four or five players at a table, there will inevitably be someone who will try to suggest a balanced party. And this can still come up here. However, when you have like nine plus players on a roster, there's a lot less pressure on each individual player to play a specific type of character. Now, if people still want to try to balance their parties, they can still do this on a session-by-session -session basis. And in fact, it is suggested that you have an email list or a group chat so you can coordinate these things. But again, balance is a little bit less of a priority when you have this many players. Now, does this mean that, say, the cleric will probably have more demand to be in a session than, say, the second sorcerer? Sure, of course. But I do think that playing a highly needed class like this should be rewarded, rather than someone being forced to play a class they don't really like. Now, a couple of words of warning if you are thinking about running this style of campaign. For one, there may be a temptation for your players to form consistent groups or cliques, and if this happens, you may need to offer some sort of incentive for players to mix it up like bonus loot or XP or a bonus ability that they can only use if they're playing with somebody that they normally don't travel with. Also, I realize that some players will just naturally be able to play more often than others, and I think for the sake of not unbalancing things too much, you may want to A, use XP, which is what I plan to do, uh, because it's a lot slower of a progression than milestone leveling. And secondly, you may want to create some kind of rule to prevent one person from scheduling multiple sessions in a row before other people have gotten a chance to schedule a session for themselves. Personally, I intend to create a no double booking rule. Basically, if you have a session scheduled, you cannot schedule a second session until you have completed that first session. I may have to end up tweaking this rule, but it's going to work something like that. But anyways, that is going to do it for me, guys. What did you think about this style of play? Does it sound like something that you would be interested in? If not, why not? Feel free to send me your comments in an email at bardicinquisition at yahoo.com or you can find me on Twitter at bardinquisition. If you like the show, 
consider donating at patreon.com slash bardic inquisition. But that's all I've got. Until next time, march westward. Oh, and uh, don't stop dreaming.